It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Welcome to Future of Flushing. I'm Vito Calisi. With me is Jonathan Barron. And today we're doing like a Mets minor league meetup right now. We are here joined by Jacob Wilkins and Matt Levine. They are the play-by-play team for the Binghamton Rumble Ponies. And uh, we're just really excited to talk to them. Jacob has set up all of the fun interviews you've heard us do with people like Christian Scott and then some other ones coming. But guys... Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, pleasure to be here, Vito and Jonathan, and great that we've been able to uh, partner up on these great interviews that you guys have done. It's so cool to be a part of and uh, appreciate you having us on. Yeah, thanks so much, guys, for having us. Uh, always always a pleasure to talk Mets baseball and the minor leagues especially, and you guys do a great job, so we're excited for this. Well, thank you so much, guys, and then I think the best way to start this off is why don't you tell us first half Binghamton Rumble Ponies. What are your thoughts so far of where the team started and where you are right now? Yeah, I guess I'll start us off. You know, it's funny to be in Portland because this is where we started the season with that three-game series uh, in April, a Thursday through Saturday series. And Matt and I were talking. There are games that happened a month ago, and you can, when you bring them up, you you have them in your head immediately. But they also feel like ages ago. And as you know, there's so many sort of involvements of the team. Uh, but the general theme is, you know, last year was a team built around hitting the big three. Uh, Alvarez, Beatty, Mauricio. They'd outslug you. They'd outhit you. Um, and this year is a team about the pitching. Uh, Mike Vassell, obviously, starting things off. Now Christian Scott is up here. Dom Hamill, uh, who I know you guys spoke with, has found a groove and is coming off his most dominant outing. So this team, from an offensive standpoint, has been much scrappier. Um, it's provided as every year does, um, surprises like Matt Rudick, uh, like Jose Peroza. And they're never out of a game. Not in the way that, all right, this guy might come up and hit a grand slam, but uh, they've had some really fun walk-off wins, and they're very fundamentally sound. Every time you look at the doubleheader numbers, they haven't been swept in a doubleheader all year. When you look at the extra inning numbers, they have an excellent record in extras. And you rarely see them beat themselves. Um, And so that's really Reed Brignac's name written all over it. Uh, They pound into them pitching and defense. Defense is really a category where the Ponies have been near the top of the Eastern League all year. And so that's really been a pleasure to watch as well, whether it's Wyatt Young, who's really played a lot more shortstop this year. Brandon Fryman has been playing there a lot more of late. Wyatt had made his second start of the year at third base last night. He had two terrific defensive plays. Um, And then in the outfield, a guy like Tanner Murphy, no one plays a ball down the lines better than Tanner does. Um, And then you've got Brandon McIlwain, who's got great speed in center, and Augustin Ruiz in right. So um, really it's been a pitching and defense-heavy team this year. And lastly, it's always fun to have the the rehab uh, starts. Never wish for anyone to get hurt, of course. But the attention that surrounds a Justin Verlander rehab appearance uh, to have Scherzer and then Verlander this year and then to be around really good guys like Cookie Carrasco and fitting that uh, he, you know, is 
coming off his best start uh, going eight innings against Arizona. So there's really been, when people ask, how's the team doing? They may be asking from a record standpoint, but I always look at it from the different storylines. So as we said, you guys are the play-by-play team for the Rumble Ponies. What's it like to do play-by-play for a rehab start? Is there a different approach in how you would call a normal game? Because obviously there's a different purpose when a Justin Verlander or Max Scherzer is pitching Binghamton. Yeah, I'll start us off, but I definitely want Matt to chime in, um, especially with this being his first year. I look at it from a broadcast standpoint that, no, it's not every other game, but your preparation, your mindset should be the same. Um, You can't try to present the broadcast in a way that you're talking to a different audience, you're talking to a larger audience, even if that may be the case. And I think we tried to strike the right balance in explaining the significance of Verlander's rehab start with Binghamton. And the, the significance was he hadn't pitched in a Mets uniform all year. So here was a guy that was a big free agent acquisition who was really ramping up to get to the big club. And so that stands on its own. If Gary Cohen was broadcast in the game, I think he'd hit on that. If Howie or Keith or Pat, um, that would be the obvious storyline. But in terms of the actual description from a play-by-play standpoint, you feed off the crowd, but I think you want to remain true to not um, godifying the moment per se uh, and being treating it with respect but not overdoing it. Yeah, going off that, I think that that last part Jacob just said there really hits it. It's You don't want to overdo what's happening out there. Obviously, you know, Justin Verlander walks into the clubhouse and he's going to talk to all the guys, meet them, and it's kind of in and out. Rehab starts. They usually leave. They talk to the media, and then they they, they leave and go back to, to New York City. And that's exactly what Justin did. But going into that game, for me, the, the Mets fan in me as, as a 22-year-old first-year minor league broadcaster, you know, that's it's crazy. It's, it's And Jacob kind of had to talk to me. He's like, it's just you know, it's normal day-to-day thing. This is going to happen. You're going to see it a lot more. And it just so happened in, I think it was our third home stand of the season. So I'd probably done 15 games or so. So just going into it after doing all the prep and you obviously want to give the context of, of what it means. He had not pitched in a Mets uniform. He's one of the greatest pitchers to ever touch a baseball. And with him being the big free agent signing this off season for the Mets, this is really the first time, other than spring training, that Mets fans would see or hear about him on a mound playing against another team. So we tried to do our best in not, you know, making the moment too big, but also providing the concept, the context of him being a future first ballot Hall of Famer. And you don't want, you just don't want to get it to the point where you sound like a fan almost. You want to keep it as if you've seen it every day. And I think. That's what we tried to do, and I hope we did a good job of that. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I remember watching that game. I think a lot of Mets fans were uh, interested to see how Justin Verlander would look in that rehab uh, appearance, and and you guys did a great job really delivering what needed to be delivered that night. Now, Jacob, I want to go back to something that you said a few moments ago. You mentioned Reed Brignac, the manager of this Rumble Ponies team, and you kind of mentioned how you know the team does a lot of things that he preaches on a, on a nightly basis, daily basis. Uh, just talk about his impact um, on the club at length, if you can, a little bit more. A guy who was a big prospect himself, uh, played in the major league, so he's been there and is now on the other side, obviously helping to cultivate 
young talent. What's he been like? So, Jonathan, I've worked with Reed for two years now, uh, obviously, in, in his role. And, and, you know, I remember I spoke with Reed first, besides just introducing myself when I called him um, to congratulate him on, on moving up to double A. We did uh, a Mets caravan. A lot of Mets people were on it. It was a Zoom session. Reed was on it. And almost immediately, there were two sections. One was with the media. One was with season ticket holders. About five minutes in, I said, I get it. I see what the Mets uh, see here. Uh, he's, and the same thing when he's speaking at our Meet the Ponies, our, our event before the season. Because Reed's able to talk from not just his experience as a player, but the different experiences he had as a player. And so obviously, as, as you mentioned, Jonathan, he was a highly touted prospect. Um, and he can connect from that standpoint with guys that are in that same boat. But he also has talked about he's been through failure. He's been in the major leagues, experienced that, and been sent down to AAA. He's been at the end of his career where you're latching on with different clubs. There's nothing that he could tell a player, whether it's a transaction that's happening, whether they're being sent up, whether they're being sent down, uh, that he hasn't been through himself. Um, and he's also contemporary in that, you know, he wasn't it wasn't that long ago that he was playing. Uh, right. And read from a, we've had many discussions, particularly with Ronnie Mauricio here last year, being it short and just the preparation and focus that goes into playing professional baseball. There's just no day off. There's no, it's Sunday and I'm not going to do infield practice. Um, and I think the players respond really well to that. And he just, there's nothing that's going to get by him in a game, whether it's in the seventh inning or eighth inning. And so even though he hadn't come in with previous, you know, he had been with St. Lucie, of course, but it wasn't extensive managerial experience. It was a natural transition where he always felt like a captain on the field as a shortstop to being a manager and leading these guys um, in his role. And I just think he's got very natural leadership qualities. He lets his coaches do their job. Um, he certainly will call something out if it's needed, but usually he believes in, in positive reinforcement. You mentioned promotions. Um, Mike Vassell was off to such a great start. And this is the interesting thing about minor league baseball. The better you perform, you know, the higher the chance that you're moving on. So from your guys' perspective in the broadcast booth, what is that like seeing the great talent both come and go really on a daily basis? And now we're kind of at the halfway mark, which is when a lot of these promotions start to to percolate midseason. I think uh, it's honestly one of the most rewarding things to watch from our perspective. Um, and I'll talk the college path too, being around a college baseball program in Maryland for four years and watching a lot of those guys get drafted and see them progress through the minor leagues as well. Then when you get to a team here and Mike, the first guy, Luke Ritter, obviously going up as well. Some of our relievers have been up and back, but just that promotion and that next step in their career, that next step towards the major leagues, we're trying to do that too. Hopefully it happens eventually for us, but you got to be happy for a guy that when you see the day-to-day, -day, you see them at their best, you see them at their worst, you see basically their whole life is with us. We are all in this basically 12 to 15 hours a day every single day for six months and and even more so on the road when you're in the hotel and just that off the cusp stuff off the field where you really get to know these guys as people uh i i look at this as a people business and my favorite thing about it is the relationships that you make with 
fellow broadcast partners, broadcasters from other teams, your players, coaching staff, whatever it might be, fans that you see at the ballpark every day, just watching that success happen and, and transpire throughout the year to then getting that promotion, it's it's extremely rewarding to see a person and, and somebody you know well do that. You can feel as a guy is, is progressing and Mike's throwing these dominant outings that, you know, that may be imminent, but at the same time, obviously, I'm not a talent evaluator, and so I defer on, on how that's all, all going to play out. But I, I think what's going off what Matt said, it's really satisfying to see the involvement. You know, Dom Hamill was a guy, it wasn't a, something that really plagued him in his career, but dealt with walks earlier in the season. Now, against the Portland club on uh, Wednesday night, was it, um, through his best outing of the year, allowed three hits, one run, struck out a career-high 11, never seen him more locked in, and four of his last five starts have been like that. Luis Moreno, uh, to see him in a week against Akron have five no-hit frames and then uh, pitch four innings of relief and to see his involvement. And I think by nature, it's a big jump from high A or low A to the double A level. And I think the promotion is really just the result of that work that goes in, whether it's with A.J. Sager, our pitching coach, or with anyone else on the staff. Um, it, it's, all, you know, that's the by, byproduct of, of the work they're putting in. And, uh, of course, we, we couldn't be happier for them. And I, I wholeheartedly uh, second everything Matt said about it's, it's a people business. And, you know, I had a manager tell me um, a few years ago, one of our managers that you can't be a front runner, you know, when you say so you do ride the, the highs and lows with these guys. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And, uh, of course, it's great to see when, when the highs lead to moving to the next level. So I think it's a good time to start highlighting a few players that we've seen just have great years in Binghamton this year. One of those being Rowdy Jordan, who has just been on a tear since late April. Do you guys want to tell us what you've seen from him from the booth? Yeah, well, Rowdy, we've done and <laughs> Rowdy's got is... is in an article that Matt wrote is going to be highlighted in our program coming out of the all-star break. And we've had some really interesting discussions with him about this is OPS his sluggy percentage. OBP has gone up. Average is now starting to go up. And of course, April's cold weather anyway. And so that's always a factor. Um, but Rowdy's pedigree is second to none coming from Mississippi state as a national champion, but he's talked about the work he's put in, in the gym. Uh, he's a guy that does in the off season, five sets of five back squats. You'll be surprised to know I don't do the same. Uh, and, <laughs> uh, he's got, I mean, you know, he's got good sized calves and, and so the lower body strength is incredible and he has really become, and some of it's a byproduct of, you know, some, some injuries, I think a leader, the leader on this, this offense, you can steal bases. Uh, apologies, uh, they're mowing the lawn here in Portland. Uh, live on, live on scene. You know, right? You can't, you can't predict this stuff. Uh, so I'm just, uh, I'm very impressed. Rowdy's very steady, very consistent, 
and uh, had a huge walk-off hit against Portland, actually, a, a few weeks ago. Um, so he's just a guy that I think Reed can trust to uh, be in any spot, whether it's in the lineup or on the field. And Matt can certainly talk about uh, his adjustment to second base Yeah, as well. I think when you, when you think of Rowdy, just getting to know him and everything, that guy's just a pro. I mean, he shows up every day. And it doesn't matter where you put him in the lineup. It doesn't matter what position you put him at defensively. He's not only going to work at it, but he's going to perform well. And for Mets fans, when you you know if you look at the prospect rankings and everything like that, you're not going to see his name on there. He doesn't present that size that a typical top prospect would. But the success is there, the consistency is there, and the work ethic is off the charts. And he's a natural infielder who then at Mississippi State, there were several shortstops there when he first came in as a freshman, so they put him out in center field. Well, he was the leadoff hitter and center fielder for a team that won the national championship, and then he gets drafted by the Mets. You can't have much more collegiate success than he did to then come into the minor leagues, be an outfielder for the first few years, and now really transitioning him to second base as well just to put him in the lineup and just to fit certain guys around, and I think that's great. I mean can't be much more of an attractive prospect for the big club to want if i mean if you could play multiple positions look at jeff mcneil the guy can play the outfield the guy can mm-hmm. play second base and his bat is just consistent it's going to stay in the lineup so for rowdy to come in every day take the infield work take the outfield work he's also a switch hitter and to be able to as jacob said be in the gym all in the offseason he's now reached his career highs in exit velocity from both the right and left side of the plate so this guy just works his tail off, and he's able to play everywhere. He's able to hit at, at the top of the order. He's hitting the two-hole in the three-slot. He's also hit at the bottom of the order as well. So he just goes about his business the right way, and he's kind of quiet about it too, really humble guy. And it's, it's, it's almost like he's coming out of nowhere, but at the same time he's not because he's been doing this pretty much all year. That's great insight, great information. Rowdy Jordan's a guy who – we always find ourselves talking about during our nightly recaps because it seems like each and every night he's contributing. Now, you guys talked about uh, having collegiate chops, and there's another player on the Rumble Ponies with a lot of collegiate chops that go beyond just the diamond. And, of course, I'm talking about Brandon McElwain, who was a quarterback at both Cal and South Carolina. This is not D2 stuff. This is big-time college football. So, obviously, Brandon McElwain, a great athlete. But he's taken strides this year, especially when it comes to patience at the plate. He's always hit the ball hard. But he's, he's exercised a bit more patience. So, I, you know, if you guys can just talk a little bit about the season you've seen from Brandon and then Jacob from last year to this year, comparing the, uh, the two Brandon McIlwain's we've seen. Yeah, I think the there's a game that comes to mind, Jonathan. It was New Hampshire in Manchester where he had a big two-out hit, and I asked him the next day what he was looking for. And he was able to tell me, he said, yeah, it was something with – and he was going to throw me a changeup, hit it. He had – it just has great visual memory. Um, and I think from last year, you know, here, here was a guy that came in immediately impressed with his speed. I mean, he once basically stole every base to create a run, uh, in a home game last year. And there were times where you see him in the outfield and you almost think of, even though he was a quarterback, but a wide receiver or just football tendencies where he's able to go back on a ball and almost catch it like a cornerback would or as a wide receiver would. So his athleticism is off the charts. And I think, yeah, I think the strikeouts have, have gone down for, for, for VMAC. And, um, again, a very steady guy. Uh, nothing's really going to phase him. And he's a guy that you have to, you know, he, he makes himself invaluable to put in the lineup 
because if he can get on first than he does often, he can easily steal second. Um, so I actually see him and Rowdy, though, very, very different players, but bringing similar um, tendencies as well in approach. And, um, you know, yeah, it's certainly unique to see a two-sport player. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Uh, with such success at prominent programs, uh, be, be with us. Now, we've also seen this year two different players of one Eastern player of the one of the week, one of the month being Mike Vassell and Luis Moreno. So why don't we talk a little about Luis Moreno right now and what you've seen from him lately? Yeah, Luis, he has just reached another level in this, I guess, still the first half or now it's the second half. But towards the end of the first half into the second half of the season, he just it's the success that's there and it's the work ethic and adjustments that he's made throughout the year, I think. Walks were not an issue, but they were up at the beginning of the year, similar to Hamill. Those have gone down. Just the preparation every day, coming to the park, going through his routine with a pitching coach like A.J. Sager, he's now been able to dial in on what exactly will make him successful. And this happened at spring training. Some of the Mets coaching staff compared Luis to Sandy Alcantara, the reigning NL Cy Young for the Miami Marlins. And... They try, they're now trying to adjust Luis's mechanics to almost mirror Sandy's. And what makes Sandy successful, they're trying to get Luis Moreno to have that same success. And we've seen that translate exactly to the mound. There's slight adjustments that he's made, and he could tell you more. Obviously, they know more of the ins and outs than, than we would. But just watching it, you can see it's a different, almost a different guy out there. Just how he's going in a rhythm almost every start now. And it's been fun to watch, and those five no-hit frames, uh, he, he was thinking about it in, in the outing, but unfortunately there was a, a pitch limit on him that day, and he knew it, but still able to go out there and shove and, and do it again in the second start of the week as well. So he's just built, and that's another thing I think is the consistency, building good starts together. That's another thing that the, the staff likes to talk about is not just one good start here, struggle the next one and then have another good one it's it's stringing those good starts along so that you can build a good month and build a good week or and maybe build a good season together yeah with Luis you know that no hit game in Akron that was one of the more thrilling games to be a part of uh just because he's so someone that's so locked in and had allowed one walk and then retired everyone else in a row leading into obviously him being taken out and I think a lot of times whether it's Dom whether it's Luis, obviously, when a guy like Christian Scott comes up here and makes an immediate impact, that's pretty unique. But you'll look at game logs and you go, wow, where did that come from? And then you see a string of good starts. But, again, it goes back to that work that you're not seeing in game with AJ and uh, with the rest of the staff or with Matt O'Neill or Hayden Sanger or Jose Mena. And then it just clicks and it all comes together and – away you go and i think that's and it's confidence you know there's it's not just the numbers and it's not just the physical capabilities it's conviction um in your pitch so just to go to dom for a moment he said 
the biggest battle he was facing is having confidence to throw the fastball and the sweeper in tough counts. Now he's doing it, and the guys can't catch up. And it's like that old saying, you, you just open the door slightly, you're probably going to knock it down next time. And, and that's sort of been the case for those guys. Well, Jacob, when we started, you mentioned that team is really this team is really built on pitching and defense, and we've spoken a lot about the starting pitching, and for good reason. But how about the relievers? How about the bullpen? Are there any bullpen arms that fans who might not watch the Rumble Ponies on a nightly basis should know about? Yeah, I like Dylan Hall a lot. Uh, I joke he's sort of the emergency call, not in that anytime things get a little murky in the ninth, Dylan comes in to, to save the day. Um, he didn't allow a run over his first nine appearances with Binghamton this year then briefly went up to Syracuse, came back, and was basically just as dominant. It's not a guy – he's not a guy who throws hard, mm-hmm. um, but he locates well, and pretty much you know he's going to get the job done. Uh, we didn't have him for long earlier in the year, but I was really impressed with him. Again, not a guy that throws particularly hard is Nate Lavender. Mm-hmm. Um, he just knows how to mix pitches. And in talking with A.J. Sager, he says, yeah, the velocity might not be natural, but he's coming at you from – a different arm angle that's really hard to pick up. And I find Vito and Jonathan, there's a team with the relievers that do really well. They come in, they're very confident, they have intent with what they want to throw, and they work quickly, not just from a sense of working ahead of the pitch mm-hmm. clock, but just a pacing standpoint. I mean, you're not we're not going into any uh, background info when Nate Lavender's on the mound. He's there to do a job. And he's going to get that ball out about eight to 10 seconds later. And he's going to throw another good pitch. So those are two guys that immediately uh, come to mind in, in my book. And then we've got, you know, Tyler Thomas is a guy who's done a really nice job lately. Uh, was signed from the Atlantic League and, um, you know, veteran guy, uh, upper 20s, but um, has, done, has done really good work. But we have a lot of, I think the bullpen's been uh, really strong. Uh, Marcel Renteria is coming along. Um and, uh, yeah, excited to see what the second half will bring as well. How about, how about you, Matt? Any, uh, any relievers that come to mind? Yeah, Jacob alluded to Tyler Thomas. He's, he's a left-hander that spent a lot of time with the Rangers organization, 27 years old now. But after his time with the Rangers, he reached his highest AAA for Texas and goes to for an, indie, an indie ball league. And, and the Mets take him. They sign him early last month in June. And in the first six appearances with Binghamton, he's only allowed one run. Uh, this is a guy that is reliable. He doesn't necessarily blow gas by a hitter, but as a left-hander, the ball is going to move anyway. So if you can locate it, you can have a lot of success. So that's a guy I think that has a chance, just based on the age and the experience already, to, to maybe move up this thing pretty quickly. Uh, a younger left-hander is Daniel Juarez. He's only 22 years old. And Juarez was absolutely elite with high A Brooklyn. Uh, didn't allow a run. I think it was a stretch of almost a year from when he last allowed a run in Brooklyn and then started the year with the Cyclones. Didn't allow a run in any of his appearances, an earned run, I should say, only one unearned. And then he comes to Binghamton and allows a run in that first in that first appearance. But he's been steady Eddie ever since. Uh, he's had a couple of outings where he's gone four innings, so he can provide that re- relief and that long relief not necessarily closing the game, but maybe if the starter doesn't go as long as you want, you can put Juarez in in the middle of an, of an outing, in the middle of a game, and, and he's just been solid. So he doesn't give up a lot of hits. It's soft contact. He can strike guys out. Another guy that doesn't throw 97, but he's getting out. So however you want to get out, that's success in my books. 
and, and he's been great. Uh, Daniel Nunez, a righty, he's a guy that throws pretty hard. Him and Sammy Tavares are the guys that have the arm that can throw 97, 98 miles an hour. But for them, it's, it's just a matter of location. Sammy uh, pitched his first appearance in about a month uh, in this series with Portland, and it was a perfect inning with two strikeouts. So to see him coming along, and once they locate, they're pretty much unhittable because it's so tough to hit 97-98 if you can throw it in the strike zone. Nobody cares, and Reed said this the other day, nobody cares how hard you throw a ball for. So as long as you can strike guys out or at least locate it, let them hit it, we said how good the defense has been. So that's that's the, the goal for them. And Nunez has had some time with AAA Syracuse this year as well. Just came back to Binghamton, and he's he's been really solid ever since as well. So just location for those guys, and I think they'll be pretty solid. No, Nolan Clenny. you got to mm-hmm. look out for Nolan Clenny. Um, he does throw hard, mid-90s. Um, but talk about a guy that's been – has evolved throughout the year. Nolan's, you know, I think of appearances where he's had multiple lockdown innings. Um, his approach has been steady, and he has just found a rhythm. And that's why, again, you can't just go off the first couple of appearances. And fans get frustrated. How could you put so-and-so back in? He blew the save, or et cetera. Not necessarily referring to Nolan, but when you're patient, you, you reap the rewards. Nolan's a guy to look out for. And just to go back to, it's obviously a look at, Alvarez and Beatty and Vientos and guys that we've had over the past couple of years. But the two guys that were former Rumble Ponies that have made the Mets this year are relievers. Uh, Josh Walker, an incredible story that's now been well told. Mm -hmm. And Grant Hartwig, who came out of nowhere from Brooklyn last year. And I know you guys spoke of him as well. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes the bullpen really provides some fun stories. And I think it's also been a sign of how this team is a little different from last year's squad. We had some hard throwers, um, Michel Otanez, Montez de Oca. Um, and this year it's been guys that obviously do a little more mixing and matching. And um, it shows there's not just one way to get the job done. Yeah, well, there's one more name I'd like to ask you guys about, and that's Wyatt Young, who's uh, filled in admirably atop the lineup in Matt Rudick's absence. Kind of a jack-of-all-trades. Last year, skipped a level, went to Syracuse, had an incredible run there, became somewhat of a folk legend. Um, tell the fans about Wyatt Young, a guy that could really do a little bit of everything. Well, Wyatt's one of the nicest guys I've, I've ever been around and one of the most appreciative and genuine and really grateful guys. Um, appreciates, you know, what he's able to do and to be able to do this. Um, and he's a guy that there's very few guys this week. He had three infield hits and it's just, it's a great Wyatt young day and he can lead off. He's batted ninth, uh, quite a bit more this year. Um, and you know, you're going to get the defense. That's almost like, you know, that's a given that's, that's already on the menu. Um, but last year he had really long hitting streaks, um, on multiple occasions this year, maybe the offensive numbers are slightly down, but, um, I think that he's a guy you can depend on, um, for a big hit, and he's just sort of a, he's just an interesting player. Really, is a works well in that leadoff or or even second leadoff spot in a way mm-hmm. when he's starting an inning in the nine spot. And um, I think the key with Wyatt though is hitting the ball the opposite way. I think there's there's clear results that develop out of that um, when when he's going the opposite way. Not even if it has to be exclusively, but just doing it enough. We've seen that this week. Yeah, I'll add on to that. I think. Uh... The defense from him is is the biggest thing. He's one of the just the, the best pure defenders I've ever watched at any level. Uh, he can get to anything at shortstop, at second, and he played third base last night for the second time this year. 
and he made two great plays. One was a sliding stop, got up, turned, spun around through to first, and he started a, a 5-4-3 double play as well. He just has the instincts of a defender. Wherever you put him in the infield, he's going to make the play. He's going to get to it. And the size might not catch your eye. I mean, it might catch your eye for the opposite reason. He's only 5'6". It's a guy like Jose Altuve. That's what we've heard from fans maybe comparing the two in terms of stature. Uh, but I don't think it matters in baseball. I think it could be any size and, and make it as long as you got the instincts. And he certainly does with the glove. And then offensively, it's the ability to be either the leadoff guy or the second leadoff guy, top or bottom of the order, and he slaps the ball around. Doesn't necessarily elevate it too much, but he can go for the single double into the gap, line drives. That's that's where he's pretty consistent. And I would, I would just consider him one of the more consistent guys. You know what you're going to get from him when he's in the lineup. And I think he might have the most games played on the team. I don't know the exact numbers, but... He just seems like a guy that's out there every day, just so durable, so consistent, and, and just another great guy to be around every day. All right, we got a couple more for you guys. Has nothing to do with player development whatsoever. So Vito and I are both going to ask you one. I want to know, what is your favorite road city and why? You got to show your homework on this one. <laughs> um, I uh, No, actually, I mean, we're, we're in it. Portland's my okay, favorite. Yep. It's a no-doubter uh, because – you're the, the ballpark's great. Mm-hmm. Um, you you have the main monster. The folks are great. It's a classic. I mean, to be in Portland Fourth of July week yeah. is like people spend thousands of dollars to be in Portland Fourth of July week. We're not staying in that hotel to be clear, uh, but <laughs> um, it's it, it's uh, it is an incredible food city. It's got uh, you know if you're looking to get a bite to eat to get a post game uh, beverage, but. It's really a it's 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 a city you're, that people go to yeah. um, and and want to visit. I think it's the most vacation spot in our league. Richmond might be number two, mm-hmm. um, an even bigger city. We don't get there as often, right. but uh, I love going to Portland. I love calling the games from here. Uh, I like the vantage point. Um, it's very relaxing. It's sort of uh, baseball therapy when you get to Portland. Absolutely, Maine is a very very underrated state. I, I uh, spent five summers. Sleep away camp in Maine. So I, I know summer in Maine is, is tough to beat. So totally with you there. Now, Matt, I don't know if Portland was your answer as well, but if it was, you can't repeat Jacob's answer. So you're going to have to call an audible real quick. <laughs> this is my third, my third uh, city that I've been to. So I, I went to Hartford, Altoona, and now Portland. For what it's worth, Portland is, is taking the top seat, but I'll give you my fake top. I'll give you my number two, which is Hartford. Okay. I think. All right. As a Long Island guy being around New York my whole life, going back to the tri-state area, there's a lot of Mets fans that were traveling to Duncan Park. But yes. I think that the thing that gets you is that stadium that the Yard Goats play in. That's off the charts. I think that's one yeah. of the nicest minor league stadiums that you can find in the whole country at any level. Yeah. Uh, and they get all the votes, you know, top double-A park, whatever it might be. Doing a game from there is, is awesome and and getting to walk around. Jacob and I always like to, to walk around the ballparks before the series starts. There were so many nooks and crannies to that place and so many angles to watch from. Then, And every little detail you can tell when they were making that stadium, it, there was meaning behind everything. Whether that's putting a little indented yard goat on a picnic table or whatever. Mm-hmm. There's so there's just murals of goats all over the place. It, it's <laughs> really? Very, yeah, it's, it's really cool and quirky because i mean nobody knows what a yard goat is we had to 
we actually got into a conversation with one of the ushers there and we, we learned the whole history of it so it was it's it was cool and that hotel i mean very nice and you get to, to walk out and there's all these restaurants that i'm familiar with so I, yeah. I like that i like my safe food options but yeah here in portland i mean you can't beat it as well it's one of the nicer nicer spots for sure nicer than college park maryland i'm a bloomington guy myself so i had to i had to slide that well, in there i had to couldn't let it go yeah you, you got it now now that i know that but uh, yeah i don't think anything will ever beat college park all right fair enough i thought you'd say that and i will say jonathan i was gonna say sorry about about both Reading and Altoona have connections to my alma mater being a Penn State guy. Uh, oh, wow. So I did get – so, you know, Altoona – is you know, and great park, all that, but the thrill of being in Altoona, and I took Matt to uh, the alma mater for the first time. And, you know, we're trying to – we're not looking to convert him away from the trip. I'm not even sure we want to accept him as a Nittany Lion, but uh, at least to expose him. And in Reading, a lot of my college buddies live in Reading, mm-hmm. so – I'm, I'm sort of chauffeured around there um, and baseball town's always fun. So right. there's uh, there's some bias to those two PA venues as well. I guess I'm a big Cyclones guy because my alma mater was SVA school of visual arts in New York city. <laughs> so that's my college town. Um, <laughs> Cody Island yeah. talking about the yard goats uh, and just how great that logo is. I'm a big hack guy. I have a problem. Uh, I recently did a little stock check of all my hats i have over 100 a lot of those are minor league hats some of my favorites personally are the montgomery biscuits the rocky mountain vibes and their mascot toasty who are some of your favorite minor league teams logos you can give us official team you can even give us one of those nice little fun specialty ones like i know you guys had the shortcakes that was a really fun one john and i went nuts over that but Mm -hmm. any names you want to highlight that you love well i'm not getting paid to say this but the binghamton rumble ponies is I think that is at least in the top five, hmm. and I don't think I don't care who you ask. I mean, nobody knows what it means if you're not around the area, but it has to do with there's a lot of carousels in Binghamton, and so the horses rumble on a carousel. It's great, and I think that this this logo on my polo is actually our favorite. It's of Rowdy. Yeah, he's got, he's got a boxing wow. glove on. So I think that's my favorite logo. It's the batting practice hat. Um, I like the biscuits growing up. That was a classic to play in MLB The Show. That's a good one. And then I got to get the Rocket City Trash Pandas. Yes, yes. I don't know where else you'll find a professional baseball team or any professional sports team with that name. Uh, but they have a great logo, and I think that name is, is – it's just it's, – it's minor league baseball. That's, that's its own niche right there of – getting a name like that where they even think of that one trash pandas i don't know <laughs> i do like uh you know matt took mine on the trash panda so i won't repeat it but i've got backup jacksonville jumbo shrimp mm-hmm. it's a great uh, one the amarillos the amarillo sand poodles sand poodles is it uh sad sod sod poodles. poodles i'm sorry sod poodles yes and then <laughs> not not uh again not from the payroll or not directed by the, the front office not just the rumble ponies which certainly comes up as one of the most i mean i've spoken to people in different fields and they're like rumble ponies they're really intrigued but uh back in 2017 when it was the, they underwent the name change and big controversy here guys the <laughs> runner-up allegedly uh purportedly was the binghamton stud muffins stud muffins now, we have we have played as the Binghamton Stud Muffins on multiple occasions. I have a Stud Muffins polo shirt. Uh, again, a horse reference. Um, and I know the guys love it. 
And I say, my feeling is the Rumble Ponies, that's your steady three, you know, cleanup hitter. You want them in the lineup every day. I don't know if the Stud Muffins can hold it for 69 games, but a Stud Muffins weekend, we did it a few years ago as the blueberry flavored. We did it last year as the chocolate one. I have a great Stud Muffins workout shirt. I am a big Stud Muffins guy. That's amazing. That is amazing. It's funny you mentioned that it was a controversial name change when they went from the Mets to the Rumble Ponies. The first professional baseball game I ever went to was in Trenton, Trenton Thunder against the Binghamton Mets back in the day. Um, and I, to this day, cannot stop calling them the Binghamton Mets. I've, you know, it took me a long time to stop saying Shea. Now I'm in that same mold with Binghamton Mets and Binghamton Rumble Ponies. I've been, have you guys, I mean, you guys both grew up around the Mets as, as kids. Have you found it hard to stop calling them the Binghamton Mets? I mean, I guess you, you see them every night, so it's probably a little bit easier. But was it challenging at first? It's funny. Growing up in, in Little League ball, you play, and they give you like a minor league team. That's the team you're on. Yep. And mine, yep. mine happened to be the B Mets one here. So oh. just, it just comes back, you know, it always comes full circle. But I'm sure they're giving uh, the kids back on Long Island the, the Romo Ponies gear now. It, and <laughs> yeah. I agree, J Jonathan, same thing. My dad still calls it Shea Stadium. I'm like, Dad, it's been it's been over a decade now. Come on, I mean, what are we doing? Thirteen but, years, fourteen, <laughs> yeah. no, fifteen years, fifteen years, yeah, fifteen, two thousand nine. Yeah. So, I want to give one more minor league uh, name a shout out. Uh, the Mahonig Valley Scrappers. They have a specialty night where they're the peppers and oil, and their logo is a Nona who's holding a stirring spoon. And she's getting ready to cook her jar of peppers. And I've always loved that. I've tried to buy the hat. I'm on eBay scouring minor league hats so much. It's I've seen it, guys. Problem. I've watched it. It's a sight to behold. It really is. That's <laughs> and I'm like, Vito, how many heads do you have, dude? Oh, it's bad. It's bad. I have, I have three things that hold 20 hats each. I have a bunch of boxes that hold hats. Anytime wow. somebody sends me a hat, I'm pumped. Uh, but it's, yeah, so the, but. We may, we may have to send you one. You don't know how badly I want one of the the rowdy with the, with right. the boxing gloves right. hats. I'll make some calls. Ooh, that would that would get me excited, guys. Well, thank you so much for joining. Thank you so much for joining, <laughs> John. I just saw John laugh at that because it did sound weird the way I said that. But but it's also hey, true. He would get excited. We got you. We got we're you. Having, we're at, we had such a fun time having you guys on. We definitely got to keep checking in with you guys throughout the year. Um, Matt and Jacob are the play-by-play -play broadcasters for the Binghamton Rumble Ponies, and you do pre-show interviews that you do put up on uh, you put up on SoundCloud that people can tune into and listen to see. You talk to players from the Rumble Ponies, you talk to coaches, and it's just really fun to be able to hear that. So, everybody, go check those out, and um, we'll see you all in the future.